Um, great to be here today. And, and I know some people are agreeing with me. You know. You know. You're like, yeah, I couldn't hike behind that person anyway. Anyway, so today, um, man, we're back in the book of Mark. And, and I probably say this every week, and I go back and I listen just when we're editing podcasts and stuff, and I say this a lot, but man, this is one of my favorite passages. Like, we're going through the book of Mark, we're doing a slow walk, and we're going to make it. Thank you, man. Um, that's cold. That's great. And this is one of those passages to where I think, first of all, we need to understand that we're not in the parable mode anymore. We've gotten out of the parable mode. We're in, like, literal mode here. This is an account of some things that happened and, and in this, there's like two stories, and we're going to break it up as we read. But I, I want to go ahead and say this. It's kind of like um, several years ago, uh, I got to be on the sidelines at the Clemson-George game. It was an opener game. And, like, I, I think I needed to see some things that I saw that day because I'm a big Clemson fan, and uh, I grew up in the bad years of Clemson, and I got to experience a few good years, and it still doesn't seem like reality. If you're a USC fan, that's fine. Still love you. But, I mean, I just... Anyway, I, I was there on the sidelines, and I had forgotten, like, what big looked like. Because when Georgia took the field that game, I realized that our guys, number one, they were small. And then I realized that I was even smaller. Like, I had forgotten what big, gigantic looked like until I saw the line for Georgia that day. And it reminded me, like, man, I'm, I'm tiny. And sometimes we just need to see things physically to remind us what those things are. And I don't know, like, if you've ever been around, like, pro athletes, a very similar thing, like, you, you, th- you grow up thinking, yeah, I'm pretty fast. You know, I'm pretty fast for a five-foot, six-point-three-quarter-inch guy, and, and I can run pretty good. And then you see, like, a pro-level athlete, and you see their speed, and you're reminded, man, this is what speed is, not what I have necessarily. Sometimes in order to know what something really is, even something that we're striving for, we need to see it first. Like, you know, Ric Flair used to say, to be the man, you got to beat the man, and he would do, a, you know, a couple other things with that. I'm not going to do that today, but, but same idea. Like, in order to sometimes to have a target, you know, it, it, sometimes it's ethereal, but we need to actually see it played out, lived out, shown to us so that we can know what it is. Today, this is what this passage is for me. Like, there's going to be several people that are going to be, you know, we're, we're walking around, revolving around in this particular instance, um, and I'll go ahead and give away what we're looking at today. Because it's a word that we use frequently in following Jesus. We talk about it. I mean, we even use it when we're talking about salvation. But it's just this idea of faith. Like we looked at it a couple weeks ago, like in the storm, like there was a storm and Jesus came out and basically the equivalent, he was just like, shh, and the wind and the wave stopped. And he went to the disciples and he was like, why is your faith like either not there or still just so small? And we hear that and we, you know, like I said, our response is like, man, you silly disciples. But we tend to think then about, like, our faith. Is it strong enough? Is it there? Is it real? Today, this particular text and the people that we're going to look at, man, the most beautiful thing about this is they show us physically what faith looks like. Because often we talk about what faith feels like, what it causes us to think, what it causes us to react to. But in this instance, they show us what faith does. And that's a big deal for us because we all want to be people that trust Jesus more that trust him fully, not just a little bit, and we get to see the way these people lived, and they just, man, they did it. And so we're going to go through that. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in and read through this passage. God, we love you. We thank you today for being, for being God. We thank you for being in control, even in areas that we are not, maybe more so in the areas that we are not. Um, God, I thank you for your word and that it offers the promise of hope, the offers of the promise of life, and God, through you, we can be known to God and we can know God and we can make him known. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I do want to throw this out too. Um, like 
posted something on Instagram and Facebook this week about ways we can pray for uh, the Ukraine and things that are going on there. I uh, read a tweet uh, yesterday, I'm not even a Twitter guy, but there was a pastor and he just basically, in the Ukraine, just basically saying, look, I'm sitting here, I'm preparing my sermon, um, and tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and if there's a building, we're going to have church. Uh, just to kind of point out as we're going through this week, if you didn't know this about the Ukraine, uh, as far as Europe goes, they send out more missionaries than any other country in Europe. And like Ukraine, in a kingdom perspective, is valuable. We're not talking about oil. We're not talking about resources. We're talking about the value of life and the value of kingdom. Incredibly valuable. And the church there is strong and is thriving in a way that it's not pretty much anywhere else in Europe. And so if you sit this week and you open the Bible and you sit down to read, uh, think of our brothers and sisters there who are doing it in the face of potentially being dead tomorrow or having to fight to keep their home. So uh, let's remember to pray for them and just pray, man, honestly, we pray for peace. You know, we want to pray for peace as a relent from war, but we want to pray for eternal peace that people will get to experience the life-giving peace that only Jesus offers. So let's pray as a family for them this week. And if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It's going to be on the screen also. It's going to feel a bit truncated because we're going, to, we're going to read the first part, then we're going to jump to the end and finish that account, and then we're going to come back to the middle, and you'll see why in just a minute. Um, but just to kind of catch you up, last week we looked at Jesus uh, encountering Legion, like a big group of, of demons in one man and the things that he did, and we looked at the value of the story, the story that we get to tell, we get to convey. That's going to pop back up briefly today. Uh, if you've missed any of this, almost all of this series in Mark is on our website, and it's on Spotify and all those places that you can find uh, listening opportunities, so go and catch up. Um, but today, today we're going to see what faith does, what faith looks like. So let's start in verse 21. We'll go through 24, and then we'll jump down to 35, but they'll follow on the screen. Verse 21, it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, back into the land of, of Jewish folk, from where he was last week, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Skipping down to verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's household someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. If you're an underline or a highlighter, go ahead, that phrase right there. Hit that. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise or get up. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. So the first story, there's a middle story, there's kind of like an interruption, so to speak, that we'll come back to in just a minute. But the first story is there's this guy, his name's Jairus, he's a ruler of the synagogue, he's not one of the teachers, um, but what we can know about him is he was a man of importance, uh, he may have been a man of means, but either way, he didn't want for really anything. 
uh, the ruler of the synagogue was an important guy. He scheduled people to come in. He, he handled the money. He did all this kind of stuff. And this guy, as far as this community was speaking, you know, this community was involved, he was a very important man, well thought of man, a man of means, a man of respect, a man of position, all of those things. And at this point, he had likely heard of some of the commotion that had been going on in other synagogues and other places of worship, and he had probably heard about this guy named Jesus. And, and probably most of his contemporaries, they, you know, they were probably like, hey, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to take care of him. We've got to get him out of here. He's causing problems. He's not you know, the, the peak of our power. He's not what we want. He's doing things that shouldn't happen. You know, he's coming in, he's disrupting, he's doing all this stuff. Like if you've been following along, we know that he's already gone into the temple and he's spoken with authority that he should not have. Uh, He's healed people on the Sabbath, big deal. He's done a lot of stuff. And so this guy at this point, Jairus, had likely heard about all these things. Man of means, man of importance, man of position. But there was a problem because Jairus' daughter, she was about to die. She She was right there, right there. And so this man of importance, this man of means, this man of position, this man of religion, he basically had one shot. He had one shot. And he had to decide which shot was that going to be. And he had heard about Jesus, very likely. He had heard the things that he had done, the things that he had said, the way that he had done them. And when he heard that he was close, he went and he threw himself down at his feet. And he said, I need your help. I need your help. He had one chance. Man of importance, man of means, man of position. He had one chance, and he goes to Jesus. And it says that he implored him, or he begged him earnestly. He begged him from the bottom of his stuff. He's like, please just come and and lay your hands on my daughter so that she won't die. Now look, like, I'll be honest, 12 years ago I could have read this, and it wouldn't bust me up because I didn't have kids. But like I do now, and we know that I'm an emotional rock and very little busts me up at all. But anyway, like, I, I think about this now, and I think, like, not a man of importance, not a man of means, not a man of position necessarily, but, but I think about my kids, and I think about, man, if one of my kids was lying on death's door or death's bed, and I just had one chance, where would I go? What would I do? This man had heard about Jesus, and he throws himself down at his feet, and he just begs him. And in verse 24, it says, and he went with him. A great crowd followed about him, thronged about him. We skipped down to verse 35 to continue what was going on. Something big happened in between. We'll come back. So while he was still speaking, uh, Jesus, that is, it says, there came from him a, from someone from the ruler's house who said, your daughter, she's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And so in this moment, like, we, we do need to try to think, like, you know, even if we're just literary people, you know, like in a good lit class, you know, your professor or your teacher is going to say, hey, what I want you to try to do now is empathize with the character, Okay. Like, try to put yourself in their shoes or their sandals, whatever they're wearing that particular day, and just try to think along those lines. And so, if we're trying to put ourselves in Jairus' sandals in this particular day, imagine the heart of Jairus in this moment. Because he had one chance, right? One chance. Because, I mean, he could have gone to the other rabbis, he could have done all those things, but he had heard about Jesus, and he was like, man, if I've got one chance, I'm going to go to this guy that I've heard has done what he's done. I haven't maybe seen it with my own eyes, but I've heard stories you know, very reminiscent of Romans 10, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But, like, I've heard things that he's done, and I've got one chance. I'm going to go to him, and he's going to make it right. And then on the way there, someone, one of his servants, comes to him. Again, a man of means comes to him and says, hey, don't bother. Don't bother, bother the Rabboni, Rabboni anymore. Your daughter, she's dead. Imagine the heart of Jairus in this moment. Like, if you've got kids, maybe even if you don't, but if you've got kids, you should be able to feel it. Like the heart just stops or it explodes. Either way, 
you've just been crushed right there. Just put yourself there for a minute. He says, don't trouble the teacher any further. Your daughter, she's dead. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, this is the reason I tell you, underline it, highlight it, do whatever. Do not fear, only believe. Another easy way to translate that is just, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Now in that moment, again, if we're putting ourselves in Jairus' shoes, we, we haven't heard of Jesus raising anyone from the dead. We haven't heard of Jesus even really facing death other than a guy who was just like ostracized because he was inhabited by a bunch of demons. You know, we've heard about that maybe, but, you know, at this point you're like, well, what other option is there, Jesus? What other option is there? Because, you know, you're, you're awesome. You've done some amazing things. My daughter, she's dead, but he just says, look, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Just believe. Just believe. If we wanted to, we could take a sermon and say, hey, man, the, the answer for fear is faith, but we're not going to do that today, but if you want to write it down, you can. Maybe we'll come back to it in six to 12 months and we're done with Mark. <laughs> and in verse 37, it says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, this man was a position, in a position of authority. He was a man uh, of, of great importance and they would have had professional mourners at his house already. Because part of that job back in the day, like, there, there were people, this was their job. When someone in the community died, um, you would go to their house and, and you, would, you would throw down. I mean, you would weep, you would wail, you would do it all, and that was your job. So knowing that, that this was their profession most likely, they knew what death looked like. They'd seen dead people before. Not like the sixth sense, I see dead people, but different. I don't know why movies are in my brain today, but they are. I apologize. Um, and that movie got me at the end. I'm not one of those guys who had it figured out. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I had no idea. But either way, these people knew what dead people looked like. They were used to seeing them, and they would go to the house, see a dead person, and they would just start throwing like a public fit, weeping, wailing loudly. I don't know. You imagine the loudest weeper and wailer you know. Mine's my, my eight-year-old daughter who's not here today, um, and she's good at it. This would be an awesome job for her. She would be really, really good. But imagine those best that you know, do about six to eight of those, put them in a small house. That's what Jesus saw right there. I mean, they were going, weeping, wailing loudly. And so Jesus goes to them, and he, he entered the house, and he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And in English, he rhymes. and In Hebrew, he didn't. But why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. Um, and it says they laughed at him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my brain is airware this morning. So he said, why, why are you making such a commotion? The child, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Now, she was dead. This is a perspective issue. This was, you know, maybe him trying to calm Jairus. Either way, but he's just like, look, what's going on? She's not dead. Maybe this was from an eternal perspective. She's not dead. He knew what he was going to do, but either way, she was. She was, she was dead. So he's like, look, she's, from where I sit, she's just asleep. And so maybe, maybe the flicker in Jairus' heart started back just a little bit. Maybe it was the beginning when he said, don't be afraid, just, just believe. You came to me, you had one shot, I know you just heard your daughter's dead, just, just hang on, just believe. Maybe when he said that, maybe he, when he said she's not dead, she's just sleeping, maybe Jairus, his heart just kind of started going a little more, a little more. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he just said to her, little girl, get up. 
Little girl, get up. <laughs> if you're a dad, your daughter's just dead. <sighs> I don't think my heart could take it. Like, I don't. He said, little girl, I say to you, get up or arise. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite transliterated English words, the little girl gets up. She just gets up. Here, here's this, and it's not even a point. Very often, and this is, this is the American condition, we have made faith so stinking private that we forget that God can use my faith to affect someone else. By the way, the faith here in question was not the little girl's faith because she had no say in the matter, right? She's dead. Jairus' faith, on the other hand, Jairus' faith, on the other hand, had say in the matter. He said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. I guess that's what 12-year-olds do. It's important. We'll note that. And it says they were immediately, they were immediately overcome with amazement. In verse 43, contrary to like last week when they were in the land of non-Jews and in Gentiles, it says he strictly charged them that no one should know about this. Don't talk to people about it. And he told them to give her something to eat. The give her something to eat thing, again, scratch my head about that. The only thing I can think, if you've been dead for a little while, you wake up, you're a little pale. He didn't want people to know, so maybe he's like, look, let's perk her up a little bit, you know. Give her something, but either way. Little, little girl, 12 years old, dead. Jesus says, get up. She gets up. She starts walking around. He's like, feed the girl. Don't know. Here's what I do know. The other thing that we have done when we've sterilized faith is even when we believe wholeheartedly that God's going to do something and, we, and he does it, I think we think that our response should be, hey, that was fun. No. It says that they were overcome with amazement immediately. Just like as immediately the girl got up, immediately when it happened, they were immediately overcome with amazement. Like, I, I do think this, like faith is huge, like faith is primary, like we need to believe that it's just Jesus that can do this, and then when we believe wholeheartedly that he can, and he does, it's still okay to say, oh my word, what just happened? That's incredible. Because again, like he didn't just, he didn't make clothes clean, Right? That's not, what, that's not what his miracle was. His miracle was he raised a little girl who was dead from the dead, and she's getting up, she's walking around. Like, of course, they're going to be overcome with amazement. If you have prayed wholeheartedly for something to happen and God does it, when he does it, it should still blow us away. Because God moved, God acted, God miraculously intervened in the lives of people who do not deserve it. Miracle. Just like last week we talked about we need to remember the miracle of our salvation like it's important, it's primary if we're going to tell that story and allow God to use it. When we recount that and it happens, we remember it and we praise God for it. But when we've been praying for the salvation of someone else for years and years and years, if possible, and God does it, man, we just don't go, hey, God, that was great. No, no, no. We're like, God, that was great. We should be overcome with amazement when the miraculous occurs, even though we believed wholeheartedly that he would do it. Because by the way, I will point out that if they didn't believe wholeheartedly that, they, that he was going to do it, he wouldn't have taken them in the room. Because here's the other thing that we need to understand about faith. Faith is the avenue in which God uses to work. Faith is the avenue in which God uses to work. It is the roadway for faith, I mean, for his action to travel on. That is what faith is. Because if we look at this right here, like he looked at these people that didn't believe, and what did he do with them? He put them out. He put them out. But he took James, John, a couple other guys, and he took the boys, the little girl's dad and mom, those who he had just told, just don't be afraid, just believe. Apparently they believed. He took them in, and then he worked, and they were overcome with amazement. 
It's one story. Let's go back to the second story. Verse 24, we'll read that again. It says, they went with him. A great crowd followed with him and thronged about him. Verse 25, it'll be up on the screen. And there was a woman. Don't know her name. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, who had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind them in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately, there's that word again, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately again turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to him, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. We're going to pause right there. So here's the second story in the middle. There was a woman, 12 years. I want to point it out. 12 years before we even talk about what was going on. 12 years. She had been menstruating. That's, that's what's going on. 12 years. Now, if we're not familiar with Jewish tradition, Jewish law, everything that was going on, that might not sound really bad. We would just think, like from medical terms, medical terms, 12 years, she'd be anemic, she'd be weak, she would feel like she wanted to die. Okay, just those three things, right? Those are bad enough. I mean, yeah, those are pretty rough, 12 years. Say it again, 12 years. So you imagine if you are 32 now, from the time that you were 20 until now. Feel like you wanted to die, out of gas all the time, 12 years. Now, culturally, because she was menstruating for 12 years, she was unclean, which meant she couldn't go to worship, which was the center of their life. Uh, she could not touch or be touched by anyone else because they would be unclean. She could not sit in a chair and someone sit in a chair after her because they would be unclean. Um, she most likely, as a result of the medical stuff, looked pasty pale, and when someone would see her, they would go to the other side of the street because they would say something's wrong with her. She was alone. Twelve years. Little girl was twelve years old. Anyway, twelve years. You imagine all the relationships that have been foundational and formational for you in the past twelve years. Never happened. You got married in the past 12 years? Never happened. You had kids in the past 12 years? Never happened. You had a great job that lets you climb the ladder of success the past 12 years? Never happened. You had money? Nope, not now. As a matter of fact, it said that she spent all that she had, every bit, going from one physician to another to another. And by the way, medical practices back then would have been pretty barbaric, you know, I mean, you, you've got some places that medicine was getting good, getting better, but their answer would have been like any other wound, to be honest. Pack it and sew it up. Would that help? Nope. So as a matter of fact, she grew worse. Medically, she got worse. Socially, she got worse. Societally, off limits. Twelve years. Twelve years. But she had heard, she had heard about this Jesus. Never met him. Nope. Never encountered him. Nope. She had just heard reports. 
Man, Romans 10, 17, which we talk about a lot, it says, For faith comes through hearing and hearing the Word of God. The way that God is going to begin to build that faith in us is when we hear about the faith of someone else or when we hear about the things that God has done in someone else's life. And that's the reason, again, we, we talk about story a lot, and we'll come back to it. I don't want to just, man, I'd, I'd love to camp there, but we'll, we'll be back. Said so that she had just heard about Jesus. And she had this inner dialogue in herself, and she said, if I just even touch his garments, I will be made well. Man. That's crazy. Like, that hadn't happened yet. Like, that, that hadn't happened yet. It happened later, and there'd be some other things that were very similar, but like, this was, nope, this was new. She said, if what I have heard is so right, all I've got to do, I've, I've just got to touch the I gotta touch the part of his robe that drags the ground, the one that's covered in dirt. I just gotta touch that. And I'll be well. But I do want to point this out. For her to get there would have been hard. Remember the medical things? Anemic, out of gas, feeling like you want to die. And it says, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. To the point that when she touched him, and he, he knew it. He asked the disciples, he's like, who, who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, there's a lot of people touching you right now. It took a lot for her to get there. A lot for her to get there. Go back to Jairus for just a minute. I think we look at Jairus and assume because he had everything. He was a man of, man of position, a man of authority, a man of means. It was no big deal for him to throw his feet at Jesus, throw himself down at the feet of Jesus. But you've got to understand, everything he did, everything he worked for, everything he represented was in contrast to Jesus. At odds with who this Jesus was. He knew that he had one shot, but he also knew this, that that one shot that was Jesus could very likely cost him everything that he had. That house that was probably provided by the synagogue, gone. Position, authority, gone. People looking up to you, gone. Paycheck, gone. He had a daughter that was about to die. He had one shot. I think the other Americanized version of faith, this is not a point, but it's important, is we look at faith as something that's probably not going to cost us anything. There's only, there's only good. Man, I'll be honest, I think Jesus was pretty clear that it's very likely that your faith could indeed cost you, could indeed cost me, could indeed cost us everything. We're hearing from our Ukrainian brothers and sisters right now, they're saying, my faith's willing, you know, it's, it's just speaking, and it's, it's saying it could cost me everything, my life, my family, every bit of it, but I believe. So this woman, on the other hand, she didn't have position, she didn't have authority, she didn't have possessions. But she had to weave through a crowd. A crowd that everybody was touching everybody, and there's no way around it. Do you know what happened with every person that she touched according to, to the Jewish law at the time? They became unclean without their consent. Do you know what could have happened as a result? It would have been a hole outside the city wall. She could have been dropped in it and had rocks dropped on her until she was dead. But she believed. 
Now, Jairus, on one hand, he had one shot, just one. This woman had exhausted all of hers. She had already used all of her shots, and she just had one left. One left. It said that she had spent all that she had. She grew worse. And now by hearing that there was this Jesus in the middle of a crowd whom by her weaving in and out, touching everybody, was literally not just risking the last few breaths that she may have as a result of her condition, but risking the very last breath that she may have because someone could kill her because she made them unclean and she didn't tell them about it. So what happens? She just said to herself in verse 28, If I touch even his garments... I don't need him to speak to me. I don't need anything. If I just touch the hem of his garments, I'll be made well. And she did, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? The disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And man, this is the reason I wanted to wait on verse 34, because it is my favorite. Just recount, 12 years, isolated, cut off, alone, unwanted, untouched. And Jesus says to her, daughter. <laughs> I mean, first words out of his mouth, my child. Faith can cost us everything, but it promises more. Faith can cost us everything, but the promise in faith is more. Can you imagine, like, yeah, we, we talked about Jairus' heart a minute ago when he just, he just wants to see his daughter alive, and someone comes out and says, your daughter's dead, and Jesus is like, don't be afraid, just believe just, his heart feels like it's going to die and just be crushed. But then this woman, on the other hand, who had been alone and isolated and cut off and not welcome in anyone's life for 12 years, she goes to this guy who she says, I just, I've heard about him, and I just think that maybe, just, just if I touch the dirty part of his clothes, if I just touch that, I'll be made well. And she does, and it happens. And he sees her, and the very first thing he says is, you're no longer an outcast of me. You're not unwanted by me. You're mine. Her heart, in contrast to Jairus's being crushed, I'm sure that hers just, man, it felt like it was going to explode in the opposite direction. Faith can cost us everything, but the promise that rests in faith is more. He says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He says, because you believed, your body's fixed, and you can have peace. And that's not normal. Not normal. Every doctor that she had gone to, none of them said that. Every witch doctor she had gone to definitely didn't say that. Every neighborhood medicine woman that she had gone to definitely didn't say that. But Jesus healed her, and he said, not only can you be healed and feel good and normal again, be accepted again, but now you can even have peace. Faith can cost us everything, but man, it promises more. It promises more. 
Man, the reason I love this passage so much is we have two people that are vastly different. Right, on one end, like, it's like a pendulum that swings to the farthest reaches. On one hand, we've got this Jairus, he's got everything. Man of position, man of authority, man of means. Then we got this woman, she ain't got nothing. She does not have anything. Everything that she had is gone. Relationships, gone. Money, gone. Health, gone. Chances, gone. All gone. The one thing they have in common, though, is they believe that Jesus, and only Jesus, can take care of them. And represented in this, this huge swing of the pendulum is extremes on both sides. And the beauty of this rests in the fact that, man, we have to fall somewhere in between. Like, there's no way we can't be somewhere in between these two extremes. Like, if you, yeah, even if you represent the extremes, that's fine. But there's no way that we can't be covered somewhere in there. Whether you got it all or you got nothing, faith still works. Whether you have... One shot, or no shots left, faith still works. The other extreme is that, that, that Jairus, man, he, he had one chance. He didn't have an opportunity to go from one door to another to another saying, hey, could you take care of my daughter? Could you take care of my daughter? Could you take care of my daughter? Oh, well, Jesus has left. I'll try him. No, he had one. His daughter was about to die. He had one. He went to Jesus because he had heard about the things that happened. And he's like, I believe that Jesus can. And this woman, on the other hand, she, she didn't have just one shot. No, no, she had had many. And she had used them all up. <laughs> she was down to her last. Maybe that sounds more like you than Jairus. I don't know. When it comes to faith, maybe you've tried everything else. I remember sitting down with a guy a few years ago, and, man, I loved him to death for just being honest. And um, he just told me all the things that he had struggled with. And he basically just said something very similar to this woman. He's like, look, I've tried everything else. I thought maybe I'd give this Jesus a shot. Super honest. Watch God do amazing things in his life. Crazy stuff. Maybe you are Jairus and you feel like you got one shot. Maybe you're the woman. You've exhausted all your shots and you've just got one left. But either way, faith is still there. Here's the things that we learn about faith, looking at, at these people like this beautiful, like, man, physical example of what faith looks like when it gets feet attached to it. The first is, is we have to see that it's, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Like the, another Americanism is we're really good at Jesus plus things. I mean, that, that's our sickness. Like, it's not that we're a people that don't know about God and that don't know about Jesus. We're not there yet. We do, but... We're good with Jesus, but we want those other things attached to it. We're very Galatian in that sense. Like, we believe that, yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus is good. Man, I know a lot of people. They say Jesus is good. I believe Jesus is good too, but, but also I, I want to earn it, whatever it may be. We're really good at that, but we see this woman, we see Jairus, perfect example of what faith actually looks like when it's lived out. There was no plus anything. It was just Jesus. I think if our faith is genuine, if our faith is real, if the faith that Jesus is imploring us to have, just like he looked at those disciples in the boat, why is your faith so weak? Why is it so small? What he was drawing them to was just a belief in just Jesus. And we see it played out with these two people. Just Jesus. Not Jesus plus anything. Just, just Jesus. And sometimes in order for us to even understand what that means, we have to see it. We see it in Jairus. We see it in this woman. But but man, I can promise you there's probably people living around you that they're living it out too, and I would encourage you to get to know them. Ask them questions. 
Ask them how they got to that point. How is it that you're trusting in, in just Jesus? What does that look like? How does that work? Because that, man, that's, that's very extemporaneous to us. That doesn't make sense. But it works. The second thing, like I said in Romans 10, 17, is that the beauty of this too is that faith wasn't the idea of these people. Like they didn't just come up with it. Like Jairus and this woman, they just didn't have an idea. Mm, I'm, I'm, I think I'll trust in Jesus. That sounds like a good idea. No, they had heard the things that Jesus had already done. They had heard stories about him. They had heard reports about him coming from whatever mouth they chose to listen to. It didn't matter, but it had come in their ears, and God had taken that and brought it to their heart and grown something from that, and it was the belief that I've just got one shot left or I've only got one shot, and it's Jesus. It's got to be him. Faith come through, comes through hearing. So either you need to listen more or you need to speak more. Say, what do you mean, Bob? Well, my name's not Bob, but this is what I mean. That's supposed to be funny. It sounds funny sometimes in my car when I say it. But either way, either A, you need to start listening to people who are talking about the things that God has done so that God will use that to grow and bolster your faith so you'll believe in just Jesus. Or you could be that person who's trusting in Jesus wholeheartedly for the outcome and the input of your life, and other people need to hear that. Either you need to listen more or you need to speak more. Maybe you just need to do both. Maybe I need to do both. Again, we talked about the value of the story. Like last week, he just looked at that guy. He said, I want to follow you, Jesus. He was like, no, 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 that's not what I want from you right now. I want you to go home to your friends, to your family. Tell them all that I have done for you and the mercy that I've displayed on you. Why? So that those people could have faith too because they needed to hear. Maybe you need to listen more. Maybe you need to speak more. What are the things that God's done in your life? It's amazing to think the grandeur of God and his plan and his purpose. He uses ordinary people like me and you just to tell other people what he's done for us. And through that, faith can grow for them and you. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. Preceding that, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. You can have pretty feet. Everybody wants that. I'm sorry. But God looks at those people and he's like, man, how beautiful are the messengers that take my truth and that I use to grow faith in someone else's life. Again, faith's not private. No matter how hard we try to make it so, it's not. Faith was never intended for a bunch of me's, but it was intended for a bunch of we's, a bunch of us's, to use the correct English. But that only happens if we speak. That only happens if we share. That only happens if we we let the things that are going on in here come out of our mouths. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. And man, you have a story. You have ways that God's come through. Man, in our community groups last week, that's what we talked about. Hey, you know, what's the story you share most frequently? Even if it's not about God, that's fine. Hey, what, what's God done in you lately? What, how do you need to share that story? Who do you need to tell? How do we need to start? So I think this is what we do with this this week. I think first, I think first you, we ask a question of ourselves, and this is not to elicit guilt, this is not to elicit judgment, but it's just honest. Does my faith look like this? First question. Does my faith look like this? Am I trusting in just Jesus, or am I trying to mix Jesus with a bunch of other stuff? Am I trying to mix, it, mix him with effort? Am I trying to mix him with religiosity? Am I trying to mix him with, with good works? Am I trying to mix him with good job and status? What am I doing? Or is it just Jesus? Who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? Remember, one shot, last shot. Either way, they both went to Jesus. Where are we going? Where are we going in good? Where are we going in bad? Where are we going in the in-between? Where are we going? Does my faith look like that?
Man, the beauty of this too is it reminds me of Philippians chapter 2. Because both of these people, no matter which extreme they sat on, the woman or Jairus, he had everything, she had nothing. I love that they both ended up kind of in the same place. Philippians 2, when it's talking about the humility of God and, and in Jesus, in verse 9 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like at some point, at some point, our fate has to look like submission. Why? Because it is. At some point, our faith has to look like submission because that's what it is. We are trusting in God's plan, God's way, God's provision over my plan, my way, and my provision. Just Jesus. Does our faith look like that? Honest question. Maybe painful answers. But good questions. It's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to find those answers. It's what we do with it next. That's big. And that's this. If our faith doesn't look like this, and there's a good chance that it doesn't, let's just be honest. Maybe some days for five minutes, yep, I'm there. But for the other X number of minutes in a day, I'm not going to do the math. doesn't. I think we stop. We confess that to God and just, you know, kind of like that that's Roman uh, servant of, hey, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think we just stop and say, God, refine my faith. Grow my faith. I want to trust just in you and be honest and say, but right now I'll be honest. I just don't. I'm trusting in you plus a lot, of other, a lot of other stuff, but God, I just want it to be just Jesus. Grow that in me. Because I think the other Americanism is that we, we think that there's a, a, a plan in place, that if we do X, we do Y, we do Z, it's going to equal this, this big ability to follow Jesus, but we have to understand there's a supernatural exchange that takes place here that doesn't match up with any other ideology, any other plan, any other thing. It has to be God implanting things in us, and the way that what happens is we believe that he can, and then we ask him that he does. And through his sovereign will, we pray that he will. Maybe we say, God, hey, you know what? After asking the question, faith doesn't look like this, but God, I want it to. Can you refine my faith, grow my faith, because I just want to trust in Jesus, and that's it. And if you can't do that, if you're struggling on your own, man, you have people around you. Like if you're a part of this faith family, we don't have perfect people, not a single one, but we've had people that have been in the saddle for a while, good, bad, and ugly, following after Jesus. And they would love nothing more than just to sit down with you and they would actually say this, hey, what's going on? You tell them, my faith is weak. I want it to be stronger. They'll say, well, this is how God's done that in me. Maybe it'll work for you, maybe it won't. If it won't work for you, go to somebody else. But either way, I mean, that's why we're here. That's the hourglass. That's all of it. Like, God's poured into me. It's trickled down. We flip it over into someone else. We call it discipleship, but this is just life on life, God working in me. I want him to work in you. Let me tell you how he did it in me and how he may do it in you. Over the next several months, like, let me, let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. We're doing our best to stay right here within 100 yards of right here. And there's a reason, because there are apartments going up and people moving in from all over the place to here, to right here. The nations are coming to our back door. And I want them to see Jesus. And if you want them to see Jesus, man, we can't be silent. We have to speak, for faith comes through hearing, and they may very well get to hear the word of God from your mouth, but they won't do it unless you believe that God can do it through you. We have to trust God with our words. We have to trust God with the plan. We have to trust God with the mission. And there is a huge mission just right here. And we're not the only church going after it, but we are this church, and we are going after it. 
Because those people that are moving into all of these apartments, all of these houses from all over the place, be it six months, be it 12 months, be it 18 months, I don't care. They need Jesus, just like you did at one point, maybe just like you do right now. And we may very well be the voices that, we, that they get to hear telling them that Jesus loves you, Jesus wants you, and no matter if you've been ostracized or cut off or haven't been called daughter in 12 years, he wants you to be his. And we need to speak. The time for being silent in this country is over. People are not coming to us. We must go to them with truth, with the gospel, and then watch God do amazing things, and then we throw a fit after he does. Because it is amazing. And if you're in for that, we want you to stick around. We want you to be a part of this family. We want you to put down roots deep. We want you to be fed by the Word. We want you to be fed by the Holy Spirit. We want you to be fed by community. But we want to be fed so that we can grow, but so that others may know. And man, that rhymes and it's unintentional. But that's what we want. That's why we're here. Because people need Jesus. They just need Jesus. And we could very well be the people that get to tell them. And man, that's good. That's good. So does my faith look like this? Ask that question. And if it doesn't, ask God for him to make it look like that. Whatever way he sees fit, however he leads us to do that. Pursuing more in his word? Probably so. Pursuing more through worship? Probably so. Pursuing more through community? Probably so. Trust in the provision of his Holy Spirit more? Probably so. You say, God, I want more. Grow my faith. Grow my faith. Help it to be just you. Just you. And then we watch to see what he does with it. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word today that some days is beyond our comprehension, beyond is, it is beyond our scope of practice. But God, we thank you for it being true, valid, authentic, and trustworthy because you are all those things. And God, we thank you for a mission that existed before we got here. We thank you, God, that you had a plan before we got here. And your plan was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for letting us participate in that today, here and now, and over the next several months and years to come in this city. God, I pray for your kingdom to grow here. I pray for more people to see that faith looks like submission because it is. And God, I pray for so many people just to call you Lord and just you. God, thank you for letting us participate. Thank you for allowing us to hear other people who have seen you move and it grow our faith. Thank you, God, for Jesus. As these guys play and lead us in worship, it's the, the last Sunday of the month, and we, we take communion as a family, uh, the, the final Sunday of each month, and it's just a time for us to do a couple things. Man, communion is something, again, that Jesus instituted. He started with his 12, and he says, when you do this, think of me. Every time you do this, just, just remember me. And so remembering, man, Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and all the things in between, and what all of those things afforded us, just a chance at hope. It's a big deal, so we remember him. But we also look forward to the fact that at one point he's coming back, and he's going to fix all this broken mess, every single bit. And that's worth celebrating in advance. So we remember him, but we also look forward to his return. 
Uh, there were a couple parameters that were given about communion when we do it as a family. Number one, we do it together. But number two, we do it together as a group of people who have declared uh, their love and their following of Jesus. And so that means that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to stay exactly where you are, and that is okay. If you'd like to know more about that, man, we'd love to have coffee. We'd love to break bread. We'd love to cut steak, whatever it may be, even tofu. I don't care. We'd love to do that and just tell you what it means to follow Jesus. Um, but in the meantime, professing follower of Jesus, actually doing that. But, but also, too, let's make sure that as followers of Jesus, like our life is matching up to his plan. Like if we have sin that is polluting us and crowding us and trying to push Jesus out, maybe before you take communion, maybe today you just sit right there. You tell God exactly what it is. You confess and you say, I don't want to do it anymore. Would you help me? Maybe you do that. And if you, can't, if you can't do all that today, that's okay. You stay, you sit, you be honest. But for those who can, you're following Jesus, we're together, your life is good and following Jesus, there's no sin that's just sitting there. Uh, feel free just to stand up when the music starts and grab a cup and grab bread. You can take it with your family, you can take it in your chair, you can do it however you want. Uh, but when we take the bread, we're remembering Jesus' body it was broken on our behalf and his blood was spilled out so that we could actually be forgiven of all the mess that we've done that we call sin, and so does God. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship through song, through communion, and then we'll close with a benediction. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that, that as a people we get to sit, we get to celebrate, we get to remember what you've done and who you are and the work of Christ. And because of that work of Christ, <coughs> we can have faith. We can believe instead of be afraid, and we can trust that Jesus is enough. I thank you that we celebrate that. I thank you that we celebrate the triumphant future return of the king of this world who's going to make everything right and grant us an eternity just to worship, unhindered by sin, unhindered by pain, unhindered by illness. God, we celebrate that with you. Thank you for allowing us to be family that follows Jesus together in this city for your glory and your honor. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.